This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. I'm your host, Stephen Igo. We are recapping a tough 24-9 loss from East Carolina on the road at Tulane. Just got back from New Orleans uh, earlier today, so have had plenty of time to collect my thoughts, and we're going to get into this thing, and I'll break down my thoughts. I know you guys got several questions. Uh, we'll, we'll answer those in the VIP chat starting tomorrow on Hoist the Colors on Monday. I'm recording this on Sunday night. And obviously, we'll have another podcast up uh, later in the week, probably two more podcasts. Going to try to get a couple of the guys on that have coaching experience to kind of diagnose where this team is right now, what are the fair expectations going forward, but I'm going to give my take on things as things stand right now. So ECU loses 24-9, to and it's, it's disappointing for a, a number of reasons, and we'll get into why this makes East Carolina fans so upset, and rightfully so, and it makes the players and the coaches upset as well. I mean, they put more time and more effort into this than than anybody. Um, And so, you know, nobody's more disappointed than them. But, you know, the fans, they pay money to go to the games. They pay money to support the program. The coaches are getting paid a lot of money. The players, uh, some of them are getting paid money, their own scholarship, but this is major Division One college football. When you have expectations and things don't go according to the standard, people are going to be upset, and I get it. And we'll get into some of the reasons uh, why this is such a potential setback for ECU in the short and maybe the long term as well. But let's talk first about what went wrong in New Orleans. And I've really broke it down into five different categories that led to this 24-9 loss by the Pirates that dropped them to 3-3 three and three and effectively you know, eliminated them from realistic conference championship contention earlier in the year, which was a, a goal of this team. And you know, we'll go one by one here as far as my thoughts, and we'll start with number one. You know, again, this is an East Carolina podcast. We're going to talk about the problems the Pirates had, but we have to start out with Tulane. I thought Tulane played a great football game. I, I thought Michael Pratt was as best as I've ever seen them. Um, offensively, he, he made basically all the throws. He spiked a couple, 
But other than that, man, he, he played a phenomenal football game. He made the right reads. Blake Harrell was dialing it up defensively. He made some phenomenal throws, some some great reads. He he was the best quarterback on the field on Saturday, and that was a large part of the reason Tulane won the football game. Uh, credit their offensive coordinator. I thought he dialed up some uh, some awesome stuff. He's a first-year coordinator from Central Missouri, was the head coach there, had a lot of success, and um, their former coordinator – Left at the end of last year, just was not a good fit for Willie Fritz, and this guy's really turning them around. They're not putting up huge numbers, but they're sustaining drives, and they're not making a ton of mistakes, and and that's the other thing. Tulane played extremely well. They made no mistakes. They didn't turn the ball over. They didn't even really put the ball in peril. I mean, there was one play where ECU had a chance to maybe block a punt, but outside of that, like, I don't remember a play where the Pirates were close to getting a pick or a fumble or anything like that. I mean, so you, you... Listen, anytime you have a result like this and what's a pretty even matchup on paper, there's a reason why it happens. And usually one of the team plays really well. Tulane did. The other team plays really bad. So let's get into that. East Carolina mistakes. I mean, it was just, it was the most mistake-filled game. It was the worst game I've seen ECU play since 2020 when they were getting, you know, beat by a number of touchdowns early that season. And it's not that they were non-competitive. I want to start there. ECU belonged on the field. You know, I saw some people say that, that Tulane looked like they outmanned ECU. No, I thought ECU, for the most part, won the battle at the line of scrimmage, especially in the running game, defensively, offensively. Usually if you do that, if you hold a team to 1.7 yards per rush and you average 5.3 yards per rush, you're going to win You know, probably 90 times out of 100. You certainly don't expect to lose 24 to 9, but that's what happened. So the reason that happened is Tulane made the plays in the passing game, but the the big second point I have is, is just ECU made so many mistakes, and it started with the penalties. The Pirates had a chance to make an early statement, driving down the field, put together a nice series, I think on their second or third possession in the first quarter, looked to go up 6 nothing after the touchdown pass to Ryan Jones from Holton Aylers. Turns out that a illegal man downfield wiped that out. What do you know? ECU doesn't punch it in after the penalty, takes it off the board. They have to settle for three with Owen Daffer converting the short field goal. But, I mean, that just kind of set the tone in a negative way. Instead of jumping out to a 7-0 lead, 3-0 is just not the same. You could have put two lanes offense on their heels. Could have got them thinking a little bit and said the Pirates get three, fail to punch it in. Brutal mistake there. Ensuing series, Tulane comes back. They drive the length of the field. ECU gets a stop on third and goal. Xavier Smith, I have not seen a replay yet, um, and I have saw some people say it was a ticky-tack, but still, you can't have your fifth-year senior getting an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty in that situation. And that, instead of kicking a field goal or forcing Tulane to kick a field goal, the Green Wave punch it in a few plays later as Tyreek James gets open. They're tied in on a play-action pass in the flat. 7-3 Tulane. You look at that sequence, that is a huge swing both ways. You know, instead of being 7-0, it's 3-0. And instead of being 3-3, it's 7-3 Tulane. I mean, that is a an eight-point swing both ways, and that kind of set the tone for the entire game. EC would make mistakes after that. We'll get into each one of those mistakes. As point number three is the kicking game. I mean, I don't know how many times we're going to have to sit here and talk about the failures in the kicking game, guys. It's it's unbelievable. 
you know, the sad thing is right now, ECU's special teams, coverage-wise and return-wise, is actually performing at a high level. You know, if you think about the last number of weeks, they have covered kicks extremely well. They've covered punts well. They've returned the ball past the 30-yard line multiple times, and Marlon Gunn had a nice return to spark a touchdown drive. But none of that's getting talked about because the kicking game is the worst kicking game in America, and it's not even close. I don't, I don't know what the issue is. I'm not a kicking expert. I don't get paid, you know, two hundred thousand dollars a year uh, to, to to coach special teams or anything like that. So I don't know. Uh, you know, I, I didn't grow up kicking the ball, and so I, I can only go off of what I look or what other coaches that have coaching experience tell me. And the whole operation looks like a mess right now. From the snap to the hole to the kick. And it looks like it's mental for Owen Daffer. It might even be mental for Luke Larson, the holder. Um, you know, you've, you've got John Young, who I know is not a fan of Luke Larson, tweeting about the issue is the hold. You've got Coach Houston saying, you know, it's part, part of the time it's on the kicker, part of the time it's potentially on the hold and the operation. Um, after the game, I asked Coach Houston, he said the missed PAT was on Owen Daffer, and then he said the block field goal was on the, I guess, the protection unit not being on the same page. And he basically shook his head and said, I don't know how that happened. So, I mean, we're now six weeks into the season. It's not a – it's you know, it's far from a fluke, and it's not even a pattern. This is, this is what ECU is. I mean, we've reached a point where the Pirates are almost better off going for two – and not even attempting a field goal because they're leaving so many points on the field. I mean, five failed extra points, whether it's blocked, misses, poor holds, five. Five gimme points in six games. Three missed field goals, I believe. Um, It's just, uh, you know, anything over 40 yards right now, I don't think you can even expect Owen Daffer to, to make it. And it has such a negative impact on the psyche of the team. When you score a touchdown to take a 9-7 lead, you should have all the momentum. Instead, you miss the extra point. And it just kind of like deflates the sideline, deflates the the feeling of the team. And instead of the defense taking the field jacked up with all the momentum, suddenly the other team's like, all right, they just missed the extra point. Let's go capitalize on this. And, you know, what do you know? Tulane ended up going on a 16-play, 93-yard march right after that. I'm not saying it's directly – because Owen Daffer missed a, a PAT, but it's just gotten to the point, guys, where something has to be done. If you keep running the same personnel out there, the same plan out there, and you keep getting the same results, you know, I, I don't really know what to say. And there's got to be a change made at some point, whether it's the kicker, holder, snapper. Somebody has to figure it out. Uh, you either got to fix it or you have to change it. Clearly, they've tried to fix it. It's not like they're not working on it, but it's failed. I mean, it's just been a failure to this point. That is what it has been. And, uh, you know, it's on the, the coaching staff, it's on Mike Houston, Tim Dows to figure out a, a way to either get the points on the board or just start going for every fourth down, going for every two-point conversion because it is a, uh, it's a nightmare right now. And it's, it's killing the team um, in multiple ways. And I know it drives the coaching staff crazy because they work on it, but they got to get it fixed, man. I mean, that's just the, the only thing you can say about it. All right, number four on the what went wrong list in this football game for ECU, the back-breaking turnovers. I mean, just the, the, the big one, the Holt Naylor's interception in the back of the end zone. It's a 14-9 game. You're getting towards the latter part of the third quarter. Got a phenomenal drive going. You're running the ball well. First and 10 at the Tulane 24. They drop into coverage. 
Yes, Josiah Hatfield flashed open in the back of the end zone for a, a second or two, but you know Holton was just a little late with the with the throw, and Tulane's got a really good zone defense and really good secondary, and it's a pick and it's a game changing play. And unfortunately, this is just too many times we have talked about uh, ill timed Ayler's mistake that has cost the Pirates. And you know I don't I don't know if it's overthinking the situation or just trying to go for broke or trying to do too much but it's just a conversation we've continued to have again it's not like he's trying to make a mistake uh nobody wants it as bad as Holton um you know he said after the game that it's one of the situations Tulane was playing so much pass defense so much coverage that when you see a guy open over the top it's very hard to not take that chance he took the chance early in the game to CJ Johnson got a really good look really good scheme play there and hit that one. Um, and then after that, tried to go back to a similar play to Josiah Hatfield, but you know, a little bit obviously different other end of the field, different situation, but still trying to go over the top. And unfortunately was was picked off. A good play by the by the two lane D B. Undoubtedly he made a nice job, but throw was late. It's a risky play on first and ten from the twenty four. You know, unless you probably ninety nine hundred percent think you're going to get that touchdown, which maybe Holton did based on the look, it's tough to to make that throw. I mean, and, and it's easy to say, you know, we're sitting in the press box, but Ryan Jones, wide open in the flat. If you throw it to him, it's probably five to ten yards. Then you got first and ten, second and five from the inside the 20, and you still have momentum. Instead, 14 to nine, you throw the pick. Three plays later, they have all the momentum. They hit a big pass play. Their guy goes up, makes an amazing catch over Juwan Powell, uh, Deuce Watts, with one of the really the best catches in college football this week. Again, Tulane, they're, they're uh, you know, talking to Corey Glore, who's very familiar with DCU. He basically told me after the game that, you know, Tulane's receivers haven't made plays like that in a long time consistently, like they did on Saturday. And um, we'll get into that in a second with, with point number five. But that was just the turnover you can't have. Tulane made none of those mistakes. ECU made that one. You know, later on, Holton made a, a poor pass over the middle that was tipped and picked off. And um, not as big of a turnover, but still ECU was looking to get in the plus territory there. Still had a shot, but that one was was pretty much the clincher when that happened. But, you know, the, the, the one in the back of the end zone, much like the Navy game, you know, it just it stings because if you if you make – if you don't make that mistake – there's a good chance you're winning the football game. That's just the reality of it. And that's part of playing quarterback. You can make 50 good throws. If you make one or two bad ones, that's what people are going to talk about. Um, and unfortunately, that's the situation we are talking about. Number five on what went wrong, the defensive struggles in the passing game. Their run defense was excellent, and maybe they put so much emphasis on stopping the run that that's why they gave up some big passing plays. But, you know, Michael Pratt threw for 350 yards. He only threw about five or six incompletions in two of those maybe three were just spiked into the ground due to some pressure ECU sent. It was good to see the Pirates turn up the pressure in the second half. Jeremy Lewis had a nice sack, but just too many guys open, uh, winning one-on-one battles and making catches over ECU players when, when the Pirates were in possession uh, or were in position. And, you know, the past defense has been a major issue. The run defense has been, for the most part, excellent. And that was an issue last year, and the past defense was good last year. And now it's like the opposite has happened, and, it's uh it's frustrating, man. You know that 
the 16-play, 93-yard drive, that was a demoralizing drive from the standpoint of you got them into some some second-long, third-long plays. Blake Harrell was dialing up some different stuff. You know, I will say he tried just about everything in that drive, and, and Pratt had an answer for it. Tulane had an answer for it. They got some guys open in the flats and did a great job of getting the ball out against pressure. But uh, And then you just can't give up the, the home run balls. Um, you know, at some point, unfortunately, you got to make a play on the ball. 50-50 ball, offense or defense has to win. We've seen very little, you know, batted balls this year, very few picks in coverage this year. This team misses Jaquan McMillan. There's very few game-changing plays in coverage this season for the Pirates. And, you know, there should be enough talent back there to, to make some plays on the ball. I believe in those guys, and, and those guys under Steve Ellis, Trip Weaver, I think they have the potential to do that. But And there were times guys were in position uh, to make those plays and just didn't, whether it's reaction or, you know, needing to coach it better. That's something that has to improve. So, yeah, add all that together, Tulane playing well in the ECU mistakes, penalties, kicking game, the turnovers, the defensive struggles, and you just can't expect to compete against a borderline top 25 team. That's just the reality of the situation. You're on the road, and if you make those mistakes, you know, you, you can't win. You can't, and you won't have a chance to win if you make as many as ECU did. And and that's the bottom line, guys. We can talk about, you know, is this program regressing? You know, all this stuff that the fans want to talk about, and, you know, rightfully so after a, a disappointing loss, um, early in the season, kind of a pivotal game, which we'll talk about here in a second. But, you know, the bottom line is this team has enough talent to to go out and win football games like this. But just like if Tulane would have gone out and made the same mistakes, they would have lost 24-9 to or whatever, maybe 24-10 to because they wouldn't have missed the extra point. Uh, by the way, how many times have we seen opposing kickers who either have never kicked in a game or we're struggling, just absolutely drill kicks against ECU. I mean, it's it's mind-boggling. The dude for Navy never kicked in his life, makes every kick, then goes out the next week and misses a crucial one against Air Force. Like, sometimes you just got to shake your head. I mean, damn, can we catch a break? I mean, that's how ECU's got to be feeling right now with the kicking game. But, you know, when it rains, it pours, unfortunately. But, um, yeah, it's just it's frustrating because, you know, watching the game live, I felt like ECU – had the talent uh, to win the football game. And, and in the end of the day, they just weren't close because of the mistakes. You know, I thought Tulane's coaching staff did a phenomenal job. Look, Willie Fritz is is one of the best coaches in the business. Um, and it, I think it showed on Saturday. He's uh, he, he gets a lot out of that program, that talent. Um, all right, on the other side, we're going to talk about why this makes ECU fans uh, upset. I mean, this is a – as this is as – upset of pirate fans have been over a conference loss in some time and we're going to get into that on the other side i'll tell you why you're listening to the hoist the colors podcast introducing the two-way v4 where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance with fuel cell each step feels explosive delivering unparalleled energy return paired with fresh foam experience maximum comfort throughout the game its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition the two-way v4 gives you the tools to play at a high level learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, 
It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. On a previous segment, we outlined, you know, the five big things that led to a 24-9 setback against the Tulane Green Wave from the East Carolina Pirates on Saturday. You know, we've seen a lot of vitriol, a lot of upset ECU fans after this game, and I think it boils down to three main reasons. The first is ECU handled Tulane last year, and we'll get into in a minute how this is a much different Tulane team, but you got to look at it from the fans' perspective. The fans see it as, all right, last year we made progress as a program. We beat Tulane 52-29. to The game wasn't all that competitive, especially late. This year, when everybody's filling out their predictions on the preseason schedule, everybody, most people, I would think, had this game as a win. They see Tulane on the schedule, much like Navy. It was a win last year. ECU should be improved. It should be a win, even though it's on the road. You know, at the end of the day, it's not that simple, but I'm just telling you what, this is how fans look at it. And then to go out and lose in the fashion that ECU did, that makes it frustrating. ECU fans expect to beat Tulane. They have over the course of their history. Yes, they didn't during the Scotty Montgomery uh, years, but outside of that, ECU has historically handled Tulane for the most part. Now, playing in New Orleans has never been easy. Typically ugly games. This one, no different. But um, that's the main reason. Pirate fans expect to beat Tulane. Now, this year's Tulane team, light years better than last year's Tulane. I mean, they went 2-10, and ten, guys. They had injuries. Michael Pratt was never healthy. He dealt with a shoulder injury all year. Pirates probably hoped in the back of their mind that that shoulder injury was still lingering on Saturday, but it really showed no ill signs. Their defense was, quite frankly, in shambles at the beginning of last year when ECU torched them for 600-plus yards. The Tulane beat writer told me that in that game alone, they gave up eight plays over 20 yards. This season, through six games, Tulane has allowed seven plays of more than 20 yards. So, I mean, what they're doing defensively with the zone coverage, and, I mean, the guys, they dropped seven, eight guys for 58 dropbacks. They didn't blitz the entire game, which is, I mean, you just don't see that in college football. And I want to talk more later this week about how ECU can go about figuring out how to attack zone defenses going forward. Navy played a lot of the same coverages, and ECU had trouble beating that. And we'll talk about that more in the the coming days. But the bottom line is ECU expects to beat Tulane as a fan base. And so to go out there and lose, and and lose in, I don't want to say humiliating fashion, but lose in convincing fashion, that's uh, that's disappointing. So that's why you get uh, a lot of uh, harsh reaction to start with. Number two, Tulane doesn't have more talent than ECU. At the end of the day, these, I think, are two pretty evenly matched football teams. The Pirates typically out-recruit Tulane, according to the rankings, according to, you know, historically. You know, Willie Fritz has had more time to build his program than Mike Houston, and you can make that argument. Mike Houston's on year four. The majority of the guys in this program now are his guys, and so you can't really use that excuse anymore. So at the end of the day, when you have two teams with equal talent, at the least playing against one another, you know, you lose the game because not only a poor execution, but you lose the game because you were out coached. 
And so that makes ECU fans upset as well because they see it as, hey, we, we've got the talent to win this football game. We had the talent to win the Navy game. Why aren't we winning these games? And sometimes, again, Willie Fritz, hell of a football coach. Ken Niamatololo, hell of a football coach. Look at their resume. Speaks for itself. But if you want to be a good football team, like Mike Houston wants this program to be, like all Pirate fans want this to be, at some point you have to win these games consistently. you got to find a way to beat other good teams consistently. And so that's, you know, that's disappointing. You got out coached, you got out played, out executed everything. This was a, this was an impressive game for Tulane and it was a, a setback for ECU for those reasons. And number three for me, and why it makes a lot of ECU fans so upset, it shows the Pirates aren't ready for the next step yet. We talked a lot this preseason. The players talked about it. Really the players more so than the coaches about wanting to get to a conference championship game, compete for a conference championship. Well, the reality is right now ECU is not ready for a conference championship. Can't lose to Tulane, can't lose to Navy, and expect to compete for a conference championship when you have Memphis, UCF, Cincinnati on the road, Houston, tricky game at Temple. I mean, the odds of going 5-0, and much less 4-1 and or 3-2 and in that stretch are not great. And so right now the Pirates just aren't aren't ready, whether it's execution, um, you know, game planning, talent, what have you. You know, it just feels like the Pirates are, are not at that level yet. And, and we can talk for days about why that is. You know, we're in year four. It's important to remember Mike Houston took over a program in shambles. The program has clearly made progress. The expectations have risen as a result. There's nothing wrong with having expectations. The expectations internally, I'm sure, are, are just as high, if not higher, than, uh, th- than outside the program. And I can tell you that the locker room, you know, we didn't go in there, but talking to the coaches and the players after the game, like they were, they were visibly upset. They were pissed off. I mean, frustrated. And uh, I think a, a large reason why is because this was the realization that, hey, this probably isn't going to be a year where we're ready to compete for a conference championship yet. And, you know, maybe at the end of the year, the Pirates can assess why that is because regardless of how things play out, even with Cincinnati, Houston, and um, and UCF leaving the conference, Navy and Tulane are going to be here to stay. You know, the Pirates have got to figure out Tulane. You know, they're going to play them again. They're going to continue to play the triple option. They're going to continue to play Navy's defense. So, you know, these are, these are disappointing losses from the standpoint of there are two teams you beat last year. There are two games you probably needed to win, at least split, to realistically continue to ascend forward as a program you know to make up for these losses now you got to beat some teams that you lost to last year because now you've lost the two teams that you beat last year so are you going to beat UCF uh, Cincinnati Houston those are the three games you kind of have that opportunity there's still opportunity ahead and we'll get into that here shortly but uh, yeah the realization of you know that that talk about the conference championship probably not going to happen this season still plenty to play for and we'll talk about that here shortly. And the other factor is, guys, and I didn't have this on my initial list, but I just want to say, you know, we're lucky to have what we have at ECU. There were 14,193 people announced as the sold attendance for a 4-1 and two-lane team receiving top 25 votes in the most important game of the season. It was sad, man. It really was. I felt bad 
for the Tulane players. Like you, you're putting together one of the best seasons in recent program history, and nobody shows up to your game. I mean, it was pathetic, man. It, it was. It, this is why it also frustrates TCU fans because you get so much support in Greenville. You know, we go on these road trips, and you know. People don't even know Tulane has a football program when I get into the Uber to go to the stadium. And it's just, it's maddening that we go to these road games and quite frankly, nobody gives a shit. Excuse my language, but like these teams in the grand scheme of things in their region outside of maybe their alumni and, you know, people that that work for the program, like they're just kind of irrelevant unless they do something gigantic. Like maybe if Tulane's 10 and 1, they'll finally show up. But it's just disappointing you know, if ECU gets 30,000 people, that's considered a disappointing crowd. And here we are with Tulane, 14,000 people showing up on 3.30, and it was hot as hell. You know, 83 degrees, but it was hotter than that. But still disappointing, man. Like, come on. It, it, that just it shines a bad light on the conference, and that's what makes it so frustrating because ECU fans care so much, and then you play these teams that don't care, don't have the fan support, or some of the resources ECU does, and you get beat. And that's frustrating. But, hey, it is what it is. And, you know, we'll continue to break this thing down. I want to get more into the X's and O's of what went wrong. I know a lot of people have questions about the offense. It was the lowest scoring output since 2019, the season opener against NC State, the first game of the Mike Houston era. You know, the reality is Tulane's got a really good defense, and ECU, with the penalty and the Holton-Aylers pick, they, they took – at least probably six to ten points off the board. And then once you got down two scores, it's almost like playing Navy. If the Pirates could have punched it in there, they could have stuck to their game plan of running the football, which they got away from a little too early. In my opinion, they were getting good surge, good holes, good running room. And it, they just kind of played right into Tulane's hands at the end of the day. Um, but, yeah, 33% pressure. I tweeted out earlier today, Tulane generated despite not blitzing the entire game, which is – you know, you can't be giving up pressure a third of the time when they're dropping eight. That's just disappointing, and that's that's continues to be a problem for the offensive front as well. Um, certainly positives from the game. Marlon Gunn stood out going back home to Louisiana. I thought that, you know, again, it was not an effort or competitive competitiveness problem for the football team. Like, they competed. And, you know, there were some things that I saw from an offensive perspective where Guys weren't necessarily finishing plays on the scramble drill, which kind of bothered me. And, and, you know, the film doesn't lie. That's there. You can rewatch the game, and it's there. But also those guys are playing like – the receivers and tight ends are playing the, the whole game. There's no rotation going on at that position right now. You were without Jalen Johnson, so they're probably tired. It's hot. So we got to look at that. But, you know, I thought Marlon Gunn played well. It was good to see Keaton Mitchell back, although I don't think he's quite 100%. I thought the defense got some good pressure – it was good to see Jeremy Lewis get a sack, J.D. Lampley a sack and a half, um, you know, consistent pressure in the second half. And, you know, some of that came on four-man rush, and we just haven't seen that consistently from this defense. So that was good to see. Uh, you know, but outside of that, not a ton of positives to discuss, although ECU did outgain them at the end of the day, which is hard to believe, 419 to 391. But – all that matters is the scoreboard and ECU right now struggling to beat good football teams, whether it's execution or, you know, whatever reason, game planning, you know, they got to get over that hump. And that brings me to my next point. 
you know, there's a lot of discussion about there about how, how the Pirates have not, as a program thus far, ascended to the point under Mike Houston where they beat good football teams consistently. You know, we saw them beat SMU at the end of the 2020 season. We saw them go on the road to beat Marshall and Memphis last year, two bowl teams. But the execution has not been there. The plays have not been there against good, legitimate competition. And if you want to get this season turned around, if you want to make a bowl game, you're going to have to beat somebody good. There's still plenty of, of reason to have a or plenty of reasons to, to show up to these games if you're a fan. Let's say you win the next two. I mean, those would be massive wins. You're about to play Memphis and UCF at home. The Pirates have not beaten UCF in six years. What better way to send them to the Big 12 than with the loss in the final AAC matchup between the Pirates and Knights? You take on Memphis this coming weekend. That is a crucial game. The Tigers are 4-2. and two. They're coming off a devastating loss. They're going to want to bounce back. The Pirates will as well. But that's a huge game. If you drop that one, getting the six wins becomes much tougher. If you win that one, all of a sudden you've got momentum going to another huge home game against the UCF Knights. So there's still a ton to play for. You know, you win the next two, then you go to BYU. You're feeling good. Maybe you can pull off a miracle in Provo and really make a statement. So... Look, this team is 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 better than three and three talent wise. I feel like, again, that goes back to why people are so frustrated. But they can beat anybody on their schedule. I firmly believe that. There's not a team on the schedule that the Pirates can't beat if they beat if they show up and they click on all cylinders. Now, conversely, they could lose to every team on the schedule if they play like they did Saturday, or if they play like they did against Navy on offense. So. You know, we're we're, we're kind of reaching a a breaking point here. Of this season is going to go one of two ways. You know, the, the Pirates got to bounce back on Saturday or it could be a long final stretch of the season. Um, if they do bounce back, there's plenty of reason for optimism. That's, uh, that, you know, Holton Naylor said after the game, we're going to find out who we are. I know people want to say, well, we found out who we are against Tulane. Well, you know, this is the, the most adversity they've faced this year. This is the poorest game they've faced. We'll see how they respond. And this is a huge game, Saturday against Memphis. So, they're breaking out the throwback jerseys or the modern throwbacks, whatever you want to call it. Big game for both programs, and we'll see how it goes. We'll be breaking that down throughout the week. We'll also have more coverage on what went wrong against Tulane, how the Pirates can really find that consistency offensively and what they need to do in pass coverage. We'll talk about that in the days ahead as we get some guests on the podcast. But that's it for this edition of the Hoist of Colors podcast. Just wanted to get my initial thoughts. Upon returning from New Orleans, we'll talk to you guys here in a couple of days. Enjoy your your night. Hope you guys have a good start to the week as well. Thank you guys for listening as always.
Sunday after the Equalizer. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. It's the season finale. Everyone's looking for something. Of Tracker. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. How you survive, you make quick, smart decisions and you never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker, CBS season finale Sunday after The Equalizer on CBS and streaming on Paramount+.